You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. It's my pleasure to introduce to you someone uh, who is going to bring the Word today and share with you about the importance of missions. And uh, I was praying, and the Lord said, you know, you need to call Eric Capelli to do service. And I feel strongly impressed on the Lord to, to have him do our Faith Promise Sunday. Now, I don't know Eric very well, okay? Um, but I'm trusting God on this one. Uh, Eric, <laughs> that sounds terrible, doesn't it, Eric? Uh, but, uh, you know, Eric's ministry is unique in the sense that he spent 15 years on the mission field um, in the Netherlands as a missionary and as a pastor on foreign soil. He knows what it's like to have to raise a missions budget. Believe it or not, these missionaries are not comfortable with asking for money. In fact, it's somewhat embarrassing to them, and, but they have to do it to raise their support. So Eric knows that life because that's what he did when he was a missionary. That's what he had to do. But then he became a pastor. For about four years ago, he became a pastor. He pastors uh, Bethel New England Church in Bristol, Connecticut. He is an Avon, Connecticut resident, so he is one of our own. And so I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Eric to come and share the word with you. Will you welcome Pastor Eric as he comes to share? Thank you. Good morning. Are we alive and well today? What a lovely group of people. I'm honored to uh, be invited. Thank you, Pastor Dan, and your family for graciously uh, having me here with you. Normally, my family would attend, but our church is kind of in the throes of it with uh, many events happening, and so our children kind of being involved, and my wife and many things. They send their greetings uh, to you, Uh, but one of my wife's favorite things after no longer serving on the foreign field or serving itinerating, raising money, as she said, now our family no longer feels like a circus act. So uh, she's just glad to go to the same church every week. This morning, I was asked to share with you about missions. And there's a lovely theme behind me. I really should have titled my missions month accordingly. Um, But really, I've been working with the idea of send me. We sang the song this morning about the prophet Isaiah. When King Uzziah died and the people of Israel came into tumultuous times, he saw a vision of God as the great king. And from that vision that he saw of God, and that vision of God really is the very basis of mission, before you are called to a people or a country, your primary and your really your soul calling is to Christ himself. That is what holds you. That is what stays you, no matter what comes your way. And so Isaiah responds to the very call of God, here I am, send me. In the local church, such as all of you here, you are a sending organization. And I don't want you to think about organization in terms of um, uh, everyone gets a little bit allergic, especially New Englanders, when we talk about hierarchy or organizations. Uh, you know, we think of the local town council meetings and everyone wants to run out the door screaming. That is not it. A good organization is a living organism. It breeds, it grows, it develops. And so the call of God for living hope and the call of God for each and every one of you is to respond to mission in some way, shape, or form. You are a missions organization. We can't just leave that up to Springfield, Missouri to be the headquarters. You are the headquarters of mission. For the missionaries that are supported on the wall, 
for the people from this body that reach people in their very own backyard. If it was not for you, the cause of mission would fail. I want to talk to you today about how missions actually failed. Ugh. Disgusting. What are we going to do with that one? Does missions fail? Yes, it can. When we do not serve the role that Christ has caused us to serve, missions can actually fail. We have missionaries out there on the field, and as I speak with the director of missions from the Southern New England Ministry Network, Selwyn Bodley, we realize more and more that our missionaries that are going out to the field are not adequately enough prepared for the work that's set before them. I have to honestly say that as I thought about crafting the message today, it evokes so many emotions and feelings inside of me. And the reason that it evokes these feelings inside of me is because before I came to Christ, before I came into the Pentecostal movement in the assemblies of God, I was just a semi-quasi-agnostic, machine, maybe slash atheist growing up in Providence, Rhode Island, to a mother that was a diehard, independent, fundamentalist Baptist. And I thought, this is great. Like, I love you, Mom. But these stories, they're like myths and fables. The world and the school that I go to, that is not the world. And so going to school in Providence, I went to really good schools there for gifted children and students. And so their objective was really to train us to radicalize us for a liberalized ideology. That is, that is the world that I lived in. And then all of a sudden, I began to feel the very touch of the Holy Spirit. As an aunt of mine received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, she said to me, can you come to church with me? My elbow's broken, and I need you to take notes, and I'll pay you. I thought, great, I'm getting money. I get to be with my aunt. I mean, she's like a mint dispenser, and anyone that knows me well... I think I actually have a very bad addiction. I am addicted to mints and gum. If I have a bowl or a pack, I mean, I eat them like a beast that's never had food before. (laughs) And so for free mints, some money, and to take notes from my aunt, I go to these Pentecostal services, and all of a sudden, the Jesus of the Bible started to become very real to me. I would laugh at everything they did. People spoke in tongues, they interpreted the tongues, they would give prophecy. I would nudge my brother if he came with me, and I'd say, this is ridiculous. These people get together with the pastor before the service because the very things they say are the message that he preaches. I didn't know how all of this worked, and I thought they were absolutely out of their minds. And one day, as I'm nudging, the Holy Spirit began to touch me. And I began over the course of the next few months and years to slowly surrender myself to Christ. And I felt at one point, and my friends felt that way too. I mean, picture you go to school with me and I go from being a liberal, life of the party type person to all of a sudden being this very um, radical Christian. My friends, my former girlfriends, like they didn't know what to do with me. Like what, what? Can you give us the old you back, please? What happened to you? And that radicalization, we talk about it in terms of Islam when people are radical and they blow up planes and buildings. 
However, in Pentecostalism, there is a form of radicalization. And I, I can say, unfortunately and fortunately, I've become radicalized. Radicalized in a good sense. Not that I want to blow up buildings or do weird things to people, but radical because I believe that the gospel is for all people. Radical because I believe that Christ is worthy of all of me. So if that means that I have to get on a plane and give up everything that I have and go to another country, I am willing to do that. But over the years, I began to realize that I was probably one of the very little that was willing to do that. It was preached to us. It was prayed to us. But unfortunately, not everyone gave the necessary things to help the mission be successful at times. See, the emphasis in our movement is constantly on the going, Go, go, go. That's what we get. Go into all the world and make disciples. That's the heart of Pentecostalism. Be filled with the Spirit and speak and go and let your feet. And this Pentecostalism is this movement. It's action and it's moving. It's doing something for God. And there's this radical demand of Jesus that we do read about in the gospel that needs to be counteracted with radical decisions like leave your home. Leave your family, leave the security that you know. However, that needs to be backed by radical support and radical care. And those things are oftentimes missing in the equation. If you have your Bible with you this morning, let's look at 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5 through 13. We see Paul being radically called by God as he has a vision on the road to Damascus. Three years after the vision and receiving the Holy Spirit, he spends about three years in Arabia before he starts going on the mission of God to reach the Roman Empire and the Gentiles for God. He experiences many ups and downs along the way. And as I say, when you read the Bible, yes, we love the miracles. Yes, we love the signs and the wonders. But when you read the book of Acts and when you read the letters of Paul, please open your eyes and realize It was not easy. I love when everyone says that, huh? Like, come to Jesus and live your best life? I'm like, wait, 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 wait a second. The best part of my life and the one that makes me smile and gives me vibrancy is Christ himself. But when it comes to the agony, the pain, and the sacrifice that truly goes into following him, I'm going to tell you, that is not easy. It never will be easy. Jesus actually said, in this world you will know many troubles, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Peace I have and peace I give you. And so Paul, uh, as he becomes fully filled with the Spirit and is on a mission to bring the gospel to different parts of Asia Minor and the Roman Empire, he speaks about the church in Macedonia to the church in Corinth. He does it on purpose, but he says the following to them. He says, in Macedonia, our body had no rest at all, but we were troubled in every way. Struggles from the outside, fears from within, but God, who encourages the downhearted, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. We were encouraged not only by his arrival, but also by the encouragement you gave him. As he reported to us your longing, your mourning, 
your deep concern for me so that I rejoiced more than ever. Paul is a man who is known as being strong. When we think of a powerhouse in Jesus, we think of someone like Paul. But I want us to be aware this morning that missionaries are not islands unto themselves. They need the connection of the local churches that support them to help them thrive and fulfill their calling to go. Even the strongest and the most quote-unquote powerful people need care, support, and encouragement. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the words of Paul that still speak to us today about the call of mission. And Lord, even though we know that this call is worthy, it sometimes feels detached from us. If we are not the ones going, it feels distant. But I pray today that you would make us radical caregivers, radical supporters, and radical encouragers, realizing that the missionaries that this church supports now and in the future are not just faces on the wall in a hallway, but they represent families, families that are left behind. They represent families of people that still are being reached. They represent more than the financial amounts that are allocated to them. Lord, we know that they are worthy of more than we could ever possibly do, but help us to each do our part. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first aspect of radicalization that I want to talk to you about today is radical care. As I said, missionaries are not an island unto themselves. I would have people say that to me even in my younger years when I was 23. I just turned 43 yesterday. So 20 years ago when I went on the mission field, people would say, wow, like you're like a force to be reckoned with. And because of that, people would oftentimes assume I was like this little self-supporting system. Selwyn Bodley, who holds, holds up our, um, leads up our missions department, he says a lot of our missionaries, they are like silos. Their families deal with pain, they deal with grief, they deal with financial hardship, and they learn to carry that burden all by themselves. And I'm going to tell you why most missionaries become that. Honestly, a majority of people don't care. I know that sounds harsh, but Pastor Dan asked me to come here and tell you the truth, so I have to. I served in the Netherlands for 15 years, and people for 15 years, and people would say to me, "How's your little missions trip going?" My little missions trip? I had friends and people that would say, we're not supporting you because the country that you're a missionary to is actually better than our own country. And I want to say that I wish those things did not hurt, but they did. But despite those experiences, there were believers and there were churches that were committed to radical care. They loved on me, they prayed for me, they gave to me all throughout the years. And my wife and I, we have a band of people around us, even to this day, that supported us while we were missionaries and continue to be pillars in our life and in our family pretty much to this very day. 
That radical care that I'm speaking about is found in Philippians 2, verse 25 through 30. For some reason, the church at Philippi learned how to be strong in supporting the cause of missions. Paul, in writing about Epaphroditus, one of his fellow helpers, said the following. He said, my brother, my co-worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to me in need. Indeed, he greatly missed all of you and was distressed because you heard that he had been ill. In fact, he became so ill that he nearly died. But God showed mercy to him. And not only to him, but also to me, so that I would not have grief on top of grief. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you can rejoice, and I can be free from anxiety. So welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor, people like him, since it is because of the work of Christ that he almost died. He risked his life so that he could make up for your inability to serve me. Whoa. Paul does not just lay it on lightly. It's like getting a good piece of fresh bread and you just slip on a nice slab of butter. Paul slips it on there and he is not joking. Paul feels as if, you know what? I'm going to be a tent maker. I'm going to do my thing. You say whatever you want about me. You don't support me, but at least support and encourage the people that are working with me. One precedent that has been set by a few ministers in the Southern New England Ministry Network are things that I uphold, being now a pastor on the other side of missions. One pastor in our network says every call from a missionary he takes, it does not get put on hold. If they need his personal cell phone number, they are allowed to call him, There is no buffer between the missionary and the pastor, so to speak. That has become the rule at our church. They know it. If a missionary calls and I am not there, forward the call. Another thing that happens is is that when missionaries are with us, they are considered extended staff of the church. Just like you honor your pastor, your board, people that work in this church and serve faithfully in different capacities, the missionaries that come to you, you might not know them. Maybe you never benefit from their sermon, but they are an extension of the kingdom of God flowing through living hope to the rest of the world. And so your responsibility becomes to honor them. And I pray that they would become exhausted by you honoring them. That they would say, wow, these people are really unique. They want to know about my ministry. They care about my family. They are learning the names of my wife and my children. My wife would say all the time, she could tell what kind of church certain places were by how she was treated when she came in. Sometimes people would know that I was the speaker and they enjoyed my preaching. And so I was kind of always carried, you know, coming into churches like, oh, here he comes. My wife would come in with one child and then two and then eventually three kids. People would practically knock her over in the foyer. If they were serving coffee, she would get bumped with the coffee in her hand. And she said all the time, I can tell how caring and supportive a church is, not by how they treat you as the speaker, but how they treat me. See, realize that your missionaries are a couple. They are a family. 
It's not just the husband in the equation. The wife is bringing a sacrifice. The children, they are bringing a sacrifice into that equation. And so Paul says, please acknowledge and care for these people because they're important in the labor of God. Missionary Amy Carmichael highlights this in one of her quotes. She said, it is more important that you should know about the reverses than about the successes of the war. We shall have all eternity to celebrate the victories, but we only have the few hours before sunset in which to win them. We are not winning them as we should because the fact of the reverses is so little realized and the needed reinforcements are not forthcoming as they would be in the, if the position were thoroughly understood. So we have tried to tell you the truth, uninteresting and unromantic truth. Oh, I love these quotes. Because Amy realized that missions is like a battle. It's not like the wars that you see on television. There is an unseen war in the spiritual world for the souls of billions of people all around this planet. But the people that put themselves on the front lines, not every day is victory. Not every day feels successful. Not every day feels like you are on top of the world, especially for the missionaries that are reaching the unreached people groups of the world. Recently, there were missionaries that came and they were representing the organization Live Dead. They said in the last 10 years of their mission to an unknown country because of sensitivity, they had not yet seen one convert. They felt like failures. My wife and I, we ministered to what is called a post-modern, post-Christian, post-secular society. Meaning though, even though that part of Europe was once Christian, they have fallen very far away from that. We know the feeling When people say we did a great outreach and hundreds got saved, we would say, man, we feel great if one person gets saved per calendar year. And we know that southern New England feels that way as well. We have our mission field in front of us. But my wife and I sat down next to the couple and we began to encourage them because I found their work so stunning. I thought it was amazing what they were doing, that they and their family dedicated their life to being on an island that is mostly Islamic and just being a Christian presence there. While they were at the conference for us telling us about their mission, finally they heard the news that one person had finally come to faith. We sat next to them and we encouraged them and thanked them for the work that they were doing. It's hard. It's hard when problems are happening in our own country. It's hard when inflation hits America. But if you know the economical adage that is said, it says when America gets, when America sneezes, the whole world gets a cold. Meaning if we think we have things bad here, it's worse in other places in the world. And therefore, our care should be all the more greater. In America, we lament about certain things that are not really to be lamented about. We think we have it bad. I say, oh, come with me to places in the world. I'll show you what bad is. And you don't always want to have to force people to smell the poop to know it stinks. 
You can laugh at that one. The next area that Paul points out to us is radical support. And when I talk about support, I'm talking about financial support. Many people don't like to talk about money, and as Pastor Dan said, many missionaries are embarrassed to talk about money. I am Italian-American. We talk about money. Yes? Italian families from when you grow up, we talk about money. In our homes, you know how much everything costs. Piano, 3000 Stand, 50 Whatever this is called in English, because I forgot that word. What is this called again? Pulpit. There we go. Pulpit, 150, 200, 300. Everything has a price tag. We are not ashamed of money. And the whole thing is everyone treats it like the church is like this money-hungry organization. Do you realize that the church of Jesus Christ all over the world is the hope of God for humanity? I do not live in a house with gold everywhere like Obed-Edom. I don't. That is not the life that we signed up for. So when people in our movements make it feel like the money they're filtering into us, it goes into our pocket. In some cases, I can understand that. But usually the people that go to those churches filter tons of money to the pastor because they want to live the life that their pastor is living. Oh, I want to live in a mansion. I want a jet plane. I want to I wanna wear the nicest suits and the most beautiful shoes. Go for it. If that's your thing, go for it. Paul even had to deal with that in his day. That people said to Paul, you're not a super apostle. The super apostles, they dress nice, they speak well, they get tons of money in the offering because they say the things that people want to hear. And Paul says, oh, I'm sorry to the church in Corinth. I'm sorry that I stutter when I speak. I happen to speak multiple languages for the cause of Christ. I'm sorry that I have to run a side business to support myself in the work of the ministry with my buddies Aquila and Priscilla. I am so sorry, but yet you are afraid that when you give money, you're giving it for my own benefit? Shame on you, he says. What you give, you give to the glory of Christ. What you give is to help my co-laborers be able to spread the message of Jesus all over the world. And so in Philippians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, he says the following about the church in Philippi. He says, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. See, Paul did not live off of the gospel as some ministers do. He was the tent maker. But the church in Philippi, even though they were a poor church compared to the church in Corinth, they decided that Paul was worthy of being supported in the work of the ministry. And so they gave to him and they they gave more than once. Recently, we were dealing with a few things in our church, nothing bad, but it had to do with giving. We realized that the situation in the Middle East obviously was bubbling up. We had been pouring resources into the Ukraine and into certain relief efforts there. We had needs at home in our own benevolence fund that were growing because of sicknesses and things happening, economic problems within families. And then all of a sudden, you have the Middle East crisis. And when it feels like you can't stretch yourself, one of the board members said to me, what should we do about giving? Because if we give now, maybe they're going to need the help later. I said, yeah, that's too bad for us. 
that means we're going to have to give again. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not the gospel we want to hear. I want my Starbucks. I want Netflix. I want Disney Plus. I want Hulu. I want all of these things, and I want them, and I want them now. Unfortunately, the church in America has sometimes developed what I refer to as the Veruca Salts mentality. If you have seen Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, the first one, which is the best one, with Gene Wilder. Then they have the second one with Johnny Depp, awful. You might like it. You'll have to convince me otherwise. And now a third one is coming out soon. But Veruca has this mindset, I want it and I want it all. But that is not what blessing is. When God blesses your life, it is not for your own consumerism. When God gives you and adds things to your life, it is not for you. It is meant for those that are going out into the far reaches of the world. It is for the needs in your own society. See, I can skip Thanksgiving. I don't need the gross turkey that makes me fall asleep while watching football. I don't need mashed potatoes that are so dry that I need to down them with root beer. Come on, let's be honest. I don't need another store. Oh, I was about to go really Rhode Island on you like wicked. Store bought. I was about to say store bought. (laughs) Store bought pumpkin pie. And in the words of some of the people from my church, a good percentage of my church is non-American born. And they say all the time, Pastor, what is this with pumpkin everything? Everything pumpkin, pumpkin, pumpkin. I'm like, you guys, if it were up to us, we would bathe in pumpkin. If it were up to a New Englander, like bury me in a pumpkin in the ground. (laughs) I can forgo that. I grew up with a mother that was a single parent, had no money, but exemplified generosity. Oftentimes when I would see the generosity of my own mother for those that were needy, I would say to her, but mom, why do you do that? You have needs in your own life. And my mother says, I can go without eating and still believe. I can have bald tires on my car and still believe. She'd say, I can go without a birthday gift and a Christmas gift and still believe, but I don't know about them. I don't know how they're going to make it. And recently, my wife and I were away um, uh, in Iceland uh, just before all the craziness started happening there. Everywhere I'm supposed to go recently is getting crazy. I was supposed to go to Israel. A war broke out right before I was about to leave. I went to Maine to preach at a Bible school. Within a half an hour of where I was, there was a shooting. People died. I go to Iceland while I'm there. 1,400 earthquakes and a volcano is about to erupt. I said to my wife, I think I'm going to stay home. (laughs) Don't don't move. (laughs) But while we were away in Iceland, my wife looked at me and she said, Eric, I know that we give to the Lord. We give our tithe. I know that we give to missions through faith promises. I have a little personal commitment Uh, Every year, I don't give the same amount. I have a personal thing. Every year, I up it by $25. Every year. You know, when when I make more money, it's not increasing the standard of living. It's increasing the standard of giving. And my wife says, since we moved to the United States, she said, I love our life here. I feel very blessed, but I also feel very selfish. She said, we need to give sacrificially. 
She said, this week when we return home, I want you to take the checkbook and I want you to write out a check to an organization in need and I want it to hurt us. I said, okay. She said, the only thing that surprises me is even though you have had this feeling, why didn't you say anything to me yet? I said, oh, I just wasn't ready to go there yet. We talk about the annual budget in our home on a yearly basis. Because of COVID, my wife, who normally worked, has not been able to work for the last five years. Because in Holland, she was a registered psychologist. She treated patients coming to the States that has not been easy, transferring that. She went from a Dutch mother to all of a sudden she had to homeschool three children in an American system online. She said, wow, if you really want to pull your hair out, become a school teacher. That radical giving needs to be part of the tapestry of our life. And the sacrifice should not only be on the missionary, the sacrifice should also be on the mission-sending people. Not only should the missionary feel it, we, I, should feel it. And I can only speak for myself. Martin Luther, the famous big mouth of Germany, said the following. He said, a religion that gives nothing and costs nothing and suffers nothing is worth nothing. I'll say that again. A religion that gives nothing and costs nothing and suffers nothing is worth nothing. And that leads me to the last thing that Paul is showing us regarding radicalization. Radical encouragement. When I was a missionary in the Netherlands, the Dutch are not known for compliments. It makes you feel uneasy. What do you want from me? They're a trade society from their past in the golden age. So if you say to someone, you look so beautiful today, they go, what? Like, what are you trying to get out of me here? And I would have to say to people sometimes, I am not trying to flatter you. Encouragement is a gift of the Holy Spirit. We talk about prophecy. We talk about tongues. We talk about signs and wonders. Do you know encouragement is a gift of the Spirit? I hear many believers, and as we have people go through the Next Steps class at our church, many, especially if they're from other churches because they've moved, they all score very high in the gift of discernment. I wish I could change it and really call it the gift of judgment. Yeah, they know how to observe with their eyes and hear with their ears. That is not what Jesus does. Jesus feels the very heartbeat of people. Jesus listens to the cry and the need that goes beyond the clothes and the color of skin and the socioeconomic background of people. See, the heart of Jesus in its very core is a missionary heart. And when the Spirit of God fills us, He gives us the ability to encourage the pants off of someone else. You as a believer and supporting the cause of missions should be an encourager to those that are doing the work. And instead of sympathizing with them, because I've had missionaries that say to me, oh, pastor, this is really difficult. I can't do this. I can't take it anymore. I've had missionary friends call me on the phone sobbing. I'm tired. I'm discouraged. And I'm done. And I can stay on that phone and I hear them out and I say, if you need to take a break, take a break. If you need time with your family, get on a plane. Do you need that plane paid for? Do you need that ticket taken care of? We'll get you back home. But after you have that visit at home, you're going to pack that suitcase all over again and you are going to get back to the place that God has called you to. 
You're going to finish the work until Jesus says it is done. You're going to stay in the country that he has for you. You're going to be in the American neighborhood that God has placed you in as a home missionary until Jesus says, you have done the very thing that I asked you to do. But your encouragement is so necessary. Why do I say that? Because when I went to become a missionary, people discouraged me constantly. The people in my church, like you would think it would be an honor. Someone from your church is called to be a missionary. They lambasted me about it. Zero support. Many services, I sat and I cried repeatedly. I was on staff. I didn't know what to do with myself. I feel called to go. They're not letting me go. Now, thank God, God had his infinite wisdom in all of that and allowed doors to open up for me to do so. But when I said that I had completed my time in the Netherlands, I also faced great criticism from people there that said that I should never leave the country that God had called me there, to my American constituents who said, no, you are so rooted in the Netherlands, we don't even want you here. You're not American anymore. I said, well, thank you, everyone. I really appreciate your help. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 17, Paul says, I was glad about the arrival of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus, Achaeus, sorry, because they have supplied the fellowship with you that I lacked. They refreshed my spirit and yours, so then recognize these people. Do you know that you are called to be an encourager? Do you know that if you are looking to be refreshed in your own life, that it is actually told to us as believers, refresh others? Every seven weeks as a pastor, I have a week of fasting and prayer. That is not to speak to my benefit. That is to speak to my weakness. If I don't take the time of prayer and fasting, I begin to lead the church in my own strength. Every seven weeks, I pause and I stop. And in that week, I ask the Lord to lay upon my hearts the missionaries that are supported by our church, and I ask him, what can I do in prayer? How can I encourage them? How can I lift a burden that they are going through? And I begin to reach out to them. Oh, well, you're the pastor of the church. That's why you do that. No, no, no. Throughout all my years as a missionary, God supplied people along the way that were interceding for my wife and I, that were interceding for our family. I would get text messages, Facebook messages. I would get people that would cross through on layovers to other places, and they would come and spend time with my wife and I, and they would just encourage us. John Stott said the following, We must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. The cares and concerns of missionaries all over the world, you should not be foreign to them. They serve in a foreign country, but they should not be foreign to you. They should become part of the tapestry of your life and family. In John chapter 2, verse 11 through 17, we see this missional aspect of Jesus. We know that Jesus was radical in his approach to mission. We know that Jesus was radical in his heart that all nations be touched with the gospel. So in the gospel of John, Jesus expresses the deep desire of the psalmist for God's house. 
that it be a place of prayer for all nations. The heart and passion of Jesus is missional in nature, purpose, and desire. If you want to hear the heartbeat of Jesus, yes, he loves you and he has a plan for your life. But you've got to take it further than that because that becomes egocentric and selfish and fat and consumeristic Christianity. See, the heartbeat of Jesus beats for the world. The heartbeat of Jesus hears the heartbeat of seven, almost eight billion people that are beating. And his heart's desire is that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Henry Martin describes it well, and I close with this, that the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. The missionaries that you support on that wall are just part of the story. Picture your picture up there. Picture your faith promise card with the amount that you're going to give. Picture it up there. Picture you being called, just like the missionary is called to that foreign country. Let yourself be called today to be a radical supporter, a radical caregiver, a radical encourager of mission. And it doesn't matter what age you are. You can be a child that gives to missions. I once received, after a year of being away, a Ziploc bag full of change and bills amounting to $120 from a little girl in my church at home that had been adopted. And when I left, she missed me so much that anything she earned, she put it in that bag to give to me. Never underestimate the children. Never underestimate the widows because there were many widows that supported us throughout the years. When people talk about widows giving and giving little amounts, no, we had widows that gave us large amounts. No strings attached. But there are healthy families here. There are people here with healthy finances. And I want to challenge you this morning. I am not your pastor. I don't have to deal with the repercussions of this sermon. He does. But this faith promise card represents what you can do by faith. We're not asking you to give money to this church. We're not asking you for a building program. We are not asking you for Pastor Dan's salary, which he is more than worthy of to take care of his family. He is asking you, through me, to support the cause of missions all over the world. And so this faith promise card, as you fill it in, you are saying, God, with your help, not your own strength, God, with your help, I am giving X amount to missions this year. I want to tell you about a danger. If you are in the habit of filling this out year after year and the amount stays the same, something's wrong. Something's wrong there. Ask him, Lord, challenge me challenge me. God, I'm going to fast and pray. We talk about fasting and prayer. Fast and pray, Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts. I'm sorry about that one. Lord, I'm going to, instead of grabbing the coffee there, I'm going to make it at home. 
and what I would normally give per month to grab coffee outside of the door, I'm going to give that to the cause of missions. And you can say to me, Pastor Eric, you're ridiculous. Oh, I'll tell you about someone ridiculous. There's a pastor friend of mine that led a church in South Attleboro. Pastor Jackson, and he would never tell anyone that, but he led the church there, started a Christian school. His wife taught kindergarten for more than 30 years. She grew up as a missionary child. Do you know that she never received a salary because everything she earned went to the cause of missions all over the world? Oh man, I'll give up my Dunkin' Donuts. Gladly. Gladly. I will gladly give up my Dunkin' Donuts and give up my salary per year. This morning, the response is not a response of heebie-jeebies. It's not a response of feeling all nice on the inside and getting goosebumps all over. It is a response of sacrifice, of letting the Holy Spirit speak to you. I can't tell you what to put on this card, but I'm going to ask you, don't do something so stupid you can't make it happen. I'm not asking you, don't second mortgage your home. There are people that do weird stuff like that. I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm asking you to simply ask the Spirit of God, what can I do to advance the cause of missions all over the world? Let's take a moment and pray. If you want to just take your faith promise card, and maybe you've already filled it out, maybe you've already sent it in. If you did, blessings on you. If you're watching online, you can also give online. You can even set up reoccurring giving on the website. You don't even have to think about it. But if you have not filled in a faith promise card as of yet, I want you to take that card and hold it in your hand. I want you to realize that that card represents not only the 18,000 that was raised last year for the cause of missions, but it's representing what's coming in for 2024. And Lord, help us to play a part in this. Help us to play a part in the cause of missions all over the world. Lord, we pray that you would lay it upon our hearts as to what we should give. We pray, Lord, that even if someone is visiting today, I have been a visitor in many services throughout my life, and I have committed to give. No one should be shy of giving to men and women that are working in some of the most destitute and desolate places on the planet. Lord, I pray that you would show us what can we do. What can we do in the area of financial support? What can we do in the area of caring? What can we do in the area of encouragement? And whatever that means for us personally or our families, I pray that this card would only be a fraction of how we devote ourselves to the missional cause of Christ. Lord, here's my faith promise card. But Lord, I've got another hand. And I say like Isaiah, here am I. Send me. Are there men and women and young people this morning that you are willing? You don't, I'm not telling you go on the mission field. I'm asking you to radically support the cause of missions. If you are willing to take one little step with me today, I ask you to just raise your hand and say, Pastor Eric, I am willing. I am willing to take a step in whatever way it looks to help better support the cause of missions. I'm willing. Only the Holy Spirit can help with that.
Only the Spirit of God working in the heart and lives of people can make them passionate and compassionate for those that they don't know. Lord, here I am. Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Use me. Jesus, take my life. I offer it to you as a sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said a hearty amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.